Today on Inside the Ropes, a ripping chat with one of our favourites and regular guests, Hannah Green. Tina Mayo, the osteopath to the stars, drops by with a couple of special tips to help you get your golf game in shape. Plus, Andy goes on one of the best rants we've had so far in 2020. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode 163. As he goes back through his notes and has a look at last week's show, that was 162. So that means we're at 163, folks. Uh, big show. Justin Felgener and Mark Hayes about to join us. Uh, Hannah Green, uh, delighted to say that she's going to be part of the show today. And Dr. Tina Mayo, who's an osteopath in the inner north here in Melbourne, but her work has been um, accessed by golfers, uh, Australian golfers all over the world. Uh, she's um, an osteopath to the golfing stars, but also to the everyman. She's going to tell us how to maybe get through our return to golf, particularly here in Victoria, uh, and get our bodies in a good nick and good shape for that, and maybe talk about something that might help all of us uh, longer term uh, before we wrap it up. But there's a lot to get through before we get to Hannah Green. Hello to you, Hazy. G'day, Murray. Yeah, um, it's... it's um... You know, we can't specifically talk about Victoria, but there's, a, there's definitely an air of excitement around um, around this state where we're recording this right now to get back onto the course. Uh, I know that others around the country have shared it for a while, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're back. Can't wait to get out there tomorrow. How are you, Jay Falconer? You going well, young man? Yeah, good, Andy. Uh, it'd be nice to get back out there, hopefully sometime this week or next week. But uh, it's a nice little reward, it feels like, for everyone sort of doing the right thing the last few weeks. You mentioned, Hazy, that you know we don't want to focus just on Victoria because that's where the three of us are. And we're not, hopefully, we don't get accused of that uh, too often. But there has been, um, in amongst all of the conversation about, you know, no golf here and restrictions there and all the rest of it, there has been a lovely sense of sympathy or empathy being expressed towards Victorian golfers from those elsewhere who uh, have been enjoying their game. Some has been with a bit of a uh, middle finger raised <laughs> and a bit of a smirk, but more often than not, it's been a, uh, look, we sort of feel for you down there, you know, as they take a photo or video, them, video of themselves smashing one 250 metres down a coastal par four somewhere. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I must have missed those positive tweets, Andy. I must... <laughs> I'm talking to you, Adam. I'm talking to you, Adam Peacock. But uh, no, there's, there's, there's been a few or there's been a couple who have been nice about it all. But it is, so we're all back and it's great. And uh, in amongst it all, we spoke to Gavin Kirkman last week on the show and there has been some ratification, formalisation, if you like, about, you know, the conversation we had with the PGA CEO last week. And we've now got a better sense for what, um, you know, the, the Australian schedule is going to look like um, certainly for, for the next golfing um, calendar and, and hopefully golfing calendars there, thereafter. Yeah, I, I was really glad to have Gavin on and to, for him to open up the discussion. It's been a, a good talking point. You know, Justin put out a good couple of bits of um, fodder out onto social media and they received good, good feedback. I, I was particularly heartened by a couple of uh, things, Andy, from um, Nathan Green, obviously known to just about everyone, and Matt Ballard as well, a good mm. pro and, and a teacher now, um, who just, they didn't have any radical ideas or philosophies or anything, 
but they acknowledged that the conversation had taken place. Yeah. And I think that's important that we actually start and, and have it publicly known that the conversation needs to happen. And, you know, we, we might ask Hannah about that as well. And, you know, I just think that the more we have this, and you said I haven't set a date for us yet, Andy, but the, the homework factor uh, of what we need to bring to the table here to have a good discussion about this, I reckon is going to come up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I, I can't wait. So uh, before we talk about that, Justin, what, have you got something? Yeah, I, th- I just think what to come out of last week, the brief chat we had, and we're going to go in deeper into it, but I think there's sort of a sense of optimism that there's a lot of events that sort of were in parts of the schedule where it wasn't ideal for them and they might have been struggling. And uh, obviously this has not been a great time for anyone, especially golf tournament organisers, to try and get their events up and running. But if there's going to be a way where some events are going to be able to find a better hole in the schedule that's going to really work for them, I feel like there's a sort of wide sense of optimism that perhaps some good can come of this uh, long layoff. So uh, in a way, it's an exciting time to sort of reimagine the schedule and hopefully we can get to some sort of place where uh, it helps more tournaments prosper. Yeah, oh, it's a great – reimagine the schedule is a great way of putting it. And um, – that, oh, I would like to do that one day. I'd love to yeah. maybe, you know, then mm. we'll get a four or five of us to sit around and just thrash it out for, you know, for the whole podcast. Just, just lay it out. Each one of us bring what we think the ideal summer looks like um, and, and, you know, see how close it is to the month. Maybe we can plant a seed on a show like this and it gets listened to by someone who goes, you know what, that was a great idea that Falcon had or Clayton mentioned or Hazy had and um, let, let's make sure that we, we, we do that, you know, like, Oh, yeah, I think- I, that's going to happen for sure. Um, I think the so the first steps already taken place, and that was when the PGA of Australia announced the the repositioning. I guess it's everything's old is new again, uh, but the old way it used to be was the uh, PGA Tour of Australia season was October to March, and that's yep. what we've gone back to. Yep. Uh, and and hooray, basically. It seemed very silly to start up a summer of golf, no matter what it was, and then stop it with a sort of crazy award of an order of merit. I mean, that's a massive prize. Don't get me wrong, but you don't give prizes in the middle of seasons and then expect everyone to carry on. And, you know, you just said there off the cuff, Andy, it's a summer of golf and that's exactly what it is. So the season should be across the summer. So that's a big kudos to the PGA for, uh, I think, just just basically making a logical decision uh, and giving everyone um, hope that they can do what Justin just said and, and move tournaments into spaces that are relevant and timely and, uh, for the players, all the touring pros, female, male, and all the spectators who really do want to go out and support the tour, um, that'd be fantastic. Um, so the big, I guess the news directly out of it is um, that the Australian PGA Championship will be at Royal Queensland at the moment from December 3rd to the 6th. Uh, there's no other tournament to vaguely even thought of. I wouldn't have thought in terms of dates, but the PGA hung theirs out to, uh, you know, to the public. And I think that's that's also a good move. Give us something to you know, to shoot for. Um, I was a, a little bit surprised that perhaps it didn't come out alongside the Australian Open, whenever that yep. might be. Yep. Because that's, I think, one of the things in hearing people's thoughts on social media back to our podcast from last week was that those two perhaps could be together as a, as a lure for the European tour. But, you know, that that, that can change, so that's okay. In a, in a perfect world, um, that, that's, I reckon, that's what it would look like eventually. I think you have a, you know, I've sort of had, I've had this, picture in mind for a while now and it's probably not one that's worthy of being shared with too many because it's probably impractical but having a the pyramid that is you know that, that is all encompassing at the start for whoever wants to participate and that's you know 
tour school pro, like brings in pro ams all the, the the and then and then it gets it, it it narrows towards the pointy end and the pointy end it you know it might look like who knows the Vic Open the PGA Australian Open in whatever particular order you want to imagine it and in the middle of it all is a rotation of all of the state PGA and Open Championships that, that are a week or two separated from one another. And you just have this – and they're all – they all feed. It's all a – it's a scaled uh, points system. It's all feeds into the order of merit. Uh, it gives you know players who um, probably aren't going to get a spot in the Australian Open or the Australian PGA in late February, early March, whenever it might be, they, they play – in these low-level pro-ams at the start of the year, and they can accumulate points. They can accumulate points to get them through to that next stage, if you like. You know, that once you get once that first stage is complete, the top 30 or top 20 or top 15 or whatever, whatever the number is through that first, they graduate into the second stage of the Australian summer. Um, and then they start to play in these protected field events that, um, you know, you, you might have really good level pros who want to play in these pro-ams as we often do but if they don't want to play in those if they want to play elsewhere they can come back to australia once we get into these reimagined state opens and pga championships breathe life back into these titles give them some real gravitas and a and a and a place that we know they exist and i'm starting to sort of lay out my manifesto now but um but that's why i reckon you know in a really sort of um sort of rough format. That's why I reckon the summer would look best in Australia. I'd love it if it could come to pass that it would look something like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep my powder dry, but I agree with that um, with a couple of additions as well. But mm. um, I just just off social media, some of the things where uh, just to let people know that we do read all this stuff is encouraging government to address tax rates for tournament professionals so that, um, you know, the purses, as, as small as they are globally in comparison to other places, uh, don't lose even more appeal, which is you know it's you may not get that over the over the line or through the Senate or whatever the case may be, but you know great ideas and that's what we need at this time. Uh, one was a return of the Masters to be part of a six week stretch that could help mm. the European Tour to spend more time here. European Tour, as I said, was a fairly common theme. Another one was that Royal Melbourne should be the the host of what our equivalent to a tour championship might look like. Right. That might be the Australian Open or the Australian PGA, whatever it is. Mm. Um, you know. Something like that, where, where it's a grand final you're working towards, just like uh, East Lake on the PGA Tour. But, you know, these are the ideas that we need to hear and, and talk about. Um, I, I think the more ideas, as crazy as they are to every individual person, and I'm, that's from Nathan Green right down to, you know, to idiots like us. Uh, no offence, boys. Uh, <laughs> that, you, know, you don't know where this little nugget that'll be that'll develop into something really good. I was just going to say, the European Tour has obviously shown an interest coming down here the last few years, and they've sanctioned the Vic Open and Perth Super Sixes before that, and the PGA, of course. I think a lot of people think the key to getting them down here and to stay here is obviously to have more tournaments consecutively for those players to play in. We've seen two has sort of generated some interest from players. Do we think getting three in a row is going to astronomically increase sort of the chances of players wanting to come down or is three weeks actually too long for the European tour to come down to Australia, do we think? No, I don't think so. I think, I think the more the merrier. Um, my, my thought on that would be they spend an inordinate amount of time on the Sunshine Tour um, in South Africa or Southern Africa, I should say, 
at various stages of the year, in, not in order in what it could be, but just in comparison to Australia and New Zealand for that matter. Uh, you know, we need to we need to start punching together. That's the key thing here, uh, as our little corner of the world. You know, can unite? We've shown that. So this, why not here? And to me, the more reasons you have to come here, four, five, six weeks, uh, would mean tougher for the people who are the second tier players, even the, some of the top tier players, to take that much time away from the sport. Mm. Uh, and that's what we need. We need to see him here once or twice at least. Uh, so uh, that's, look, a really positive step in the right direction. Uh, I think you may have been mentioning, Hazy, in the last couple of weeks that uh, the World Am Team Championship scheduled for Singapore October were looking uh, less than more likely to continue. There was confirmation during the week that you know, this really highly um, anticipated event has been cancelled. It hasn't stood up. So that's, uh, that's, another, that's another sort of dagger for, through, the, through the heart of sort of upcoming, you know, wannabes. Yeah, look, I find this really disappointing, Andy, for, for several reasons. Um, well, for one, actually, for one primary reason, totally understand that the IGF has called it off. Um, uh, that's a biennial event. And they've not only scrapped it for 2020, but it's apparently too hard in inverted commerce to reschedule for 2021. Mm. I find that galling. This is a this is setting up a four year break between the, the the previous and the next edition. It's like a, a whole Olympiad. As you know, people talk about that massive four year commitment to stay there. If you want to win this event, which is one of the truly time honoured events in golf, mm-hmm. uh, it's been going for you know so long now. Uh, there's going to be people, I look at Jed Morgan, our recent guest on this show, there's no way he's going to be an, an amateur uh, to st- stick it out into 2022 if his career keeps progressing right now. He's he's had a chance to represent Australia at the highest possible level ripped away from him. I think that's really disappointing. I mean, obviously that applies to a lot of amateurs all around the world, not just Australians. Uh, very flat that the next... Um, Next one, I think both men's and women's will be in France in 2022. So there will be no um, whatever number edition we're up to for the World Amateur Teams Championship for both men and women. They're, understand the, the postponement, disappointed that it's not going to happen again next year. And then you see the flip side of that, Juzzy, is that you see the levels that – and there's no, there's no comparing the two, but then you see what the PGA Tour is doing to make it possible – for it to recommence in, you know, in around about a month's time. I read with enormous interest that, you know, several players are, who, are, who are wealthy enough to do it are going to be um, chartering their own sort of four, six-man flights between tournaments and bypassing sort of, you know, heavy traffic areas where the spread of diseases and the contracting of disease is more likely. But the PJ Tour for those who can't afford or choose not to afford their own private jets with with on their own or with a couple, the PGA Tour is going to have its own plane, ferrying mm. caddies and players, like the big jumbo jet type plane, ferrying players and caddies from event to event. It's um, extraordinary links they're going to. We know they're, how affluent they are, they are, but that's a measure of how keen they are to, to get this thing back and, back and going. Yeah, I saw that this morning. I think it was Alan Shipnuck tweeted that that he'd heard that on a range somewhere and wherever he is. But yeah, as soon as you hear things like that, it, I think the immediate reaction from most people, at least on social media, is you just hear how much money and resources they pour into the top tour. But then you look at the Corn Ferry, and there's probably a lot of places where a lot of that money could go and mm-hmm. tighten that one up a little bit. I mean, so it's 
it's interesting, isn't it? But it'll be fascinating, I think, to see whether the PGA Tour, for example, is up and running as they said it would be probably three weeks ago when they announced the new schedule. If we get to a point where those tournaments are going in a way and successful, I think it'll be extraordinary effort. I saw the mayor, Andy, of, um, I forget the name of the tournament. It's one of the famous ones uh, in Fort Worth. I forgot the name of the tournament. It's the one where they're coming back. Um, you're coming yeah, Colonial. Colonial. Um, the mayor of Fort Worth is <laughs> It's adamant it's happening. He's, you know, oh, yeah. all guns blazing. It's happening. Oh, oh, yeah, it's yeah. Happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there's, there's, in their mind, there is nothing to see here almost. You know, we, of course we're going to be playing golf. So they, they are, uh, they are a bit blink at some of, some of the Americans and, and it revealed itself a bit. I mean, concurrent to um, the tournament that we're talking about on the PJ Tour that week is a tournament that's going to be running on the Corn Ferry tour and it's been in the last five or six days the course of the cause of some pretty significant <laughs> controversy now i don't know i'd never heard of brady chanel uh before this week but as it's come to pass under a regulation that sees um you know pga tour players if, if there's a corn ferry tournament running at the same time and they can't get into the pga tour event they have the right to play in the corn ferry tour now, Vijay Singh, who has all sorts of exemptions here, there and everywhere, can't get into Colonial but wants to play that week at Sawgrass, which is where the Corn Ferry Tour event is. He's a local. He uses the facility a lot. Has put his name down to play. Well, Brady Schnell, who's ranked about <laughs> 1,000 in the world, has gone straight to Twitter. Hasn't, hasn't exercised the 10-second rule before he's pushed send. Uh, he's just gone, taking his big cigar out of his mouth and take his MAGA hat off and he's gone, <laughs> rah, 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 rah. he's called, he's called, he's called Vijay Singh, a, a true piece of trash. He's called him a complete turd. Uh, he has ripped v, Vijay Singh. Uh, and and, he, and he, the, 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 the thing that Brady has, the reason he's really letting himself down is, it's sort of in the middle of it all, he's got a bit of a point that he's worth making, but he was so abusive in his original text, uh, his original tweet, that any decent point he might have had has been completely lost. Uh, he's been forced to apologise, which would have, I don't know Brady Schnell, but I had a look at his Twitter feed. He would have hated having to write an apology. He's just not the sort of bloke who feels like he has to apologise to anyone uh, he would have hated having to pen that apo- that apology, um, but he's done it nonetheless. So, so say if you want to say something about Brady Schnell, feel free about the original tweet. Do you want to make a comment on his point that maybe VJ shouldn't be taking a spot in a field that is potentially so important for a wannabe and would be pro coming up? Uh, Andy. Oh. <laughs> I had the very good fortune to go and play um, TPC Sawgrass about five or six years ago, <laughs> and I teed off at let's just say it was let's just say it was nine o'clock. And as I teed off, I looked behind me out onto the range, and there's VJ Singh. Yep. It was a thousand and fifty degrees that day, as I sipped on my third beer after the round in the magnificent clubhouse. There was VJ Singh out on the range, still hitting balls. Six hours later, I didn't play a six-hour round. I wasn't JB Holmes. I'd had a few beers. <laughs> but point is, I don't know what time he got out there, and I don't know what time he left. 
but he was grinding on a day when there was no tournament. I don't know how old he is. He must be he must be close to sixty, I would imagine. Fifty seven now. Yep. Fifty seven. Yep. Look, it's I you know, there might be a point and I do take Schnell's point as with you know, limited yep. in a limited yep. fashion. But VJ thing VJ Singh doesn't think his best golf's behind him. Everyone else in the world does, but VJ doesn't, and that's all that matters here. He's earned the right to play in these things. Bugger Schnell. Mm. Yep. Yep. I'll never, I'll never understand when these tweets go out and you first read them, and that's a text message, Brady. I just I can't fathom why someone would put that in a tweet and press send. Oh. If, that is, if that's truly how Brady felt, he would have texted VJ and told him that. So to then turn around and be like, oh, and I'll say it right to your face. Well, that's actually not what you're doing, Brady. So you probably won't do that. But I think the fact that it was VJ, it was the perfect storm, this story, I think. We've got nothing else to talk to, and VJ's obviously quite a polarising figure, and I think that's probably seen it drag out a little longer than it would have ordinarily. Yeah, well, you're, probably, you're probably right. And, and you're, you're probably right. And, and, but it, there's a in and around uh, a simple, you know, abusive, mindless tweet from a bloke that you've never heard of and has made one cut in his last 15 starts, and he's ranked 990 in the world. Um <laughs> In amongst all of that is is an, an example for all other young players, I reckon. And Schnell, Schnell's not young. I think he's in his late 30s. But um, show a bit of respect. Whether you, whether you think you like the bloke or not, whether you uh, – whatever you – whatever um, true thoughts about the world you harbour internally, um, you are a golfer. And this bloke's won major championships and he has done things that you could only dream of doing, Brady Schnell. And if you had the good fortune to stand alongside this bloke uh, on a practice tee or through some quirk of the draw play alongside him, imagine what Brady Schnell, if he could see his way through his own sort of Trump-inspired fog, of imagine, imagine what he could actually get out of – get out of uh, – spending time with VJ Singh. But he's too stupid to know. He's too stupid to know. And it's a and instead this is what Brady Schnell this is all Brady Schnell's ever going to be known for. Uh, I, I'm normally embarrassed when I have a rant, Andy, but I might start doing more because that was inspired just listening to you, I'm inspired. Uh, it's just you know, I mean it's just, you know, like I'd yeah, I encourage you to go just have a look through his, you know uh, Andy, I'm, I'm done dealing with these yeah, uh, morons over there who've got, as Justin said, the you know bigger mouth than pills to to actually say what it is directly to someone they want to offend. You know, please. I mean, I agree. If you if you had done one millionth of one percent of what VJ Singh has done in his golf career, then maybe we listen to you. I'm not the biggest VJ Singh fan, but by God, no. I'm certainly not a Brady Schnell fan. <laughs> <laughs> So here's what Hannah Green to join us in a moment. Here's one that I did want to put just before we get to the break. I don't know whether you read this anywhere, but uh, and I don't even know that um, Michael Jordan, who the world's talking about at the moment because of the last dance, Michael Jordan has a private golf club. Did you know about this? I didn't yeah. Know. Yeah, the Grove 23. I, I, yeah. Yeah, right. I, I didn't know about this. So it's got a private – only wants to have about 100 members in it, wants to keep it super elite for any number of reasons I can imagine MJ wants to keep people out. Um, but Phil Mickelson and his wife, Amy, are moving to South Florida. And Phil was saying that he looks like he's going to become a member of uh, Michael Jordan's elite golf club. Can you imagine 
<laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> the card games? They're going to be played <laughs> between <laughs> Phil Mickelson and Michael Jordan. That is going to that should now that should be on television. Forget about a couple of broken down quarterbacks playing with a couple of golfers. That the card game that Jordan plays with Mickelson and a couple of mates. Now that's what I want to see. I would. I would Oh hell! The the antis will be about the GDP of several small African countries. <laughs> oh, it's extraordinary! Imagine that's imagine the sledging. I reckon that that's two of my dream foursome right there. I reckon. Uh, oh for, my god! MJ oh, and but, Phil, your dream foursome. I think that's two of them. What really? playing golf or playing cards? Playing golf. <laughs> uh, before we go to the break, Andy, I just want to yeah. point you. You mentioned the. Um, <laughs> I'm still struggling a bit with that one. Uh, a couple of the matches coming up here, on, you know, made for television and charity things. Just want to touch on them. And Justin, I'm going to get you going to give you forewarning about the ISO trick shot. You have to just sort of give a bit of a, a blast yep. here too. Right. Of course, yep. Uh, Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson are going to play the two Oklahoma State collegiate golfers of years past, Ricky Fowler and Matt Wolf. That's this weekend. And this weekend is uh, was originally going to be the, the final day of the uh, – Mm, the US PGA yeah. Championship. So that's where we're, we're going to visit the Seminole Golf Club, um, which is another cracking course in Florida, just north of Miami. Andy, this, and Justin, this is a course that is ranked regularly in the four top courses in the United States. And no one knows anything about it. And if you remember back, we saw those really quirky and cool design, I reckon, of the course that hosted the 2019 US Women's Open, the um, uh, Country Club of Charleston. Yep. That's the same bloke. That's Donald Ross. I, this is going to be – I know these things are Mickey Mouse, Andy, these uh, events, but I can't wait. Justin, I'm sure you're the same, to see what that course looks like. If it's the fourth best or third or second best course in the United States and no one's ever been in there, I can't wait. And that's the forerunner, apparently. This is almost a test event for the Walker Cup next year. So okay. they're finally opening the doors after about 100 years. So this is um, this is going to be really cool. I also want to see what Matt Wolf could do. I think that's, as you said, it's sort of Mickey Mouse, but he's in some pretty steep company there. Uh, Rory, and, Rory and DJ would be hot favourites. So you'd think if Ricky and Matt Wolf can sort of take it to him a bit, sort of over the front nine, it actually could get quite interesting. I did see somebody um, mentioning this last week, and you know, obviously part of the appeal of these things is that all the players are mic'd up and we get to hear them you know, telling their stories and as they wander the fairways in between shots, it's the personality of the players that we get to see as much as it is the golf. And um, one of the golf scribes who was writing about it once it was announced was suggesting he hopes Rory brings his A game because the other three blokes – I haven't got many stories to tell, and they're not—they're not real—they're not much chop to listen to. So, if we're going to be eavesdropping in on a conversation, he hopes that Rory is in good form that day because the other that, three—that's very harsh on Ricky Fowler, who's a very reasonable and personable man. I, I he's your man, Hazy. He is my man. I love Ricky yeah. Fowler. No, no, I agree, but I'm just on what's <laughs> written out there in the great golf stratosphere. Before you talk about the ISO trick shot. Uh, Justin, I have to find your real name there amongst the myriad nicknames <laughs> I have here. I just want to touch back on one comment that Andy made about three minutes ago, it's, and it's not specifically golf related, but this is the this is a very very rare occasion in the past fifteen years of maniacal supporting that I've heard Tom Brady referred to as a broken down hack of a quarterback. Puts a, puts a red jumper on instead of a blue, and all of a sudden he's not the goat; he's a hack. Well, well, all I know is that. 
All I know is that Bill Belichick got the <laughs> New England Patriots into two Super Bowls in years where Tom Brady did not start the season as the Patriots quarterback. So uh, I can't remember Tom Brady ever making a, um, a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. So we'll just see what happens. Oh, you have you've changed, Andy. Have I you have changed. Have I turned? Tom, Tom, Tom Brady would get a game at Carlton, I reckon, at the moment if he moved down under. So I wouldn't be too worried about how he's going. Yeah, I've dirty it up. It's true. Tell uh, us about the ISO trick shot, mate. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the ISO trick shot has been run and won. We'll be posting the winner today. So jump on the GA socials. And uh, it's an absolute beauty, we must say. We had a lot of great entrants and uh, we siphoned through them and. Uh, one of the ones, the, the winner in the end was actually one of the last few we looked at. We had a bunch of good candidates and then we saw this one and we said that hands down, that's the winner. So that'll be out today and we're going to sort of put the top 10 out as well because uh, there's right. a bunch of good ones and they're too good to not share. But you mentioned the USPGA, Hazy. I thought we might have got through the whole pod without uh, referencing that it is USPGA week because you can contrast with that uh, with how much Masters, Buzz Masters Week generates. So I wanted to do a little US, USPGA pop quiz looking back at last year. Oh, Jesus, righto. So, because I it came up last week, the USPGA last week, it was who was the winner, which American won, and I, I honestly had the biggest blind spot I couldn't even remember. So tell me where it was. Uh, Beth Page. Okay. Ooh, Kepka won it, didn't he? Did Kepka win it? Kepka won yeah. it. Who came, who came second? To- uh, Another big uh, hitter. Uh, and, uh, it was a massive hitter and it was a... Yes. It was a big knuckle, <laughs> hair off the knuckles sort of. <laughs> uh, no, I can't. Was it Dustin Johnson? It was Dustin Johnson. Very good. Ooh, Three sorry. players in a tie for third. Uh, one of them was? Adam Scott. No, uh, that was the year before. Oh. American. There were two Americans in the top three. One of them, my eyes only popped out of my head when I saw this. <laughs> No, you got no, me. No, Jordan, no. Jordan Spieth finished T3 at the PGA last year. Right. Yep. Just a bit forgotten. Top 10s to Adam Scott, uh, T's in a row, and Rory McIlroy as well last year at the PGA. But the other one that jumped out to me was two top 10 place getters last year at the PGA as well were Shane Lowry and Gary Woodland, who ended up winning the next two majors. There you go. There you that's go. That's, that's a nice little form line for us. Anyway, that's all. Not, I've got not that it's going to happen, of course. So it doesn't matter. But just maybe, maybe in 2021, we should remember that as a form reference. Exactly right. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Hey, well, so we've, we've we've really performed poorly there. In fact, you yeah. you had to start giving us answers. You realised that our knowledge uh, was was so poor. I just felt like it was the forgotten major from last year. So I just thought we'd shit back over it once, considering uh, how much masters chat we had. It's, no, all, it's all about fairness and equality. That's a very good point. Uh, right, uh, Hannah Green uh, is going to join us. We're all looking forward to having a chat to her. Uh, she's up next here on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're so lucky uh, here on Inside the Ropes to have access to so many of the great Australian players around the world. And uh, everybody on the globe now knows who Hannah Green is after her triumph in the 2019 PGA Championship. I think she's at home. We'll find out as she joins us on the show. Hannah, lovely to see you and hear you. Thanks for joining us on the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Where, where do we find you at the moment? Uh, I am in Perth. I'm actually at my parents' place because they have better Wi-Fi than I do. But, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you know, most children steal their Wi-Fi these days. But, um, yeah, just back in Australia, which is nice. So, so when you say you're at your parents' place, this is always a bit of an intrigue now with sports people going back in this period of isolation to the family home. Are you staying at your mum and dad? Is this the home that you kind of grew up in? Yeah, this is the okay. house, uh, the first house I ever, um, I guess, lived in. And my parents have been here for nearly 30 years. So um, I've moved out uh, end of last year. Um, I moved out with Jared and a friend of mine. Um, yeah. And yeah, I don't have the best Wi-Fi. So I've come over here. <laughs> So the, so the next question is, I want to know, have you moved back into the um, bedroom that you grew up in and are you sleeping in a bunk? Because this is, this is the crazy are – are we seeing major championship winners who are moving home being forced to sleep in the top or bottom bunk with one of their brothers or sisters? What's going on? What's the situation? No, I'm still living at my place, but um, oh, I do come and visit mum and dad as much as I can. Obviously now in WA we um, can have gatherings up to 10 people and – um, so I've been seeing them. It's been mum and dad's birthdays during these isolation periods. So I have been over, um, and obviously mother's day on the weekend. So I've been seeing them. So how's your golf real? What's your golf reality look like over there? We've had some good news here in Victoria as of midnight tonight, we can all go and play again, which is we're recording this on a Tuesday, obviously. Um, it's an hallelujah moment for all of us. What's, um, what's your golf reality been like? Yeah, well, I guess golf courses have been open for three or four weeks now. Um, they did close for about a couple of weeks, but I guess um, for me personally, I wasn't too upset because I did think that we were going to do all right and that golf courses would reopen and uh, obviously didn't have anything to plan anyway. So it wasn't like I really needed to start practicing to get ready. Um, I pretty much have just been playing, um, trying to play all different golf courses here in WA that I typically wouldn't have time to do when I'm at home. Um, and just saw Richie for the first time in eight weeks yesterday. So <laughs> just slow, slowly getting back into it. So if you're in that journey, so I'll stop hogging the microphone in a minute, you two folks. But um, in, in that time, you've had to play some courses that you haven't sort of had access to often recently. Have you played one maybe for the first time that has kind of blown you away a little bit? Um, so I've been lucky. I mean, I've been playing at my home course, Mount Lawley, um, but I also went back to the first golf course I've ever played golf at, uh, Hillview. Uh, I played with dad uh, on Sunday and I hadn't been there in like at least three or four years. Um, and they've done a lot of changes, but it was just really crazy to think, you know, this is where it all first started. And, um, just like seeing even my dad's friends that I used to like first start playing with, um, was really nice and brought back some, you know, nice memories. And I guess it really made me appreciate that we are allowed to play golf right now with obviously yeah. the Victorians not being able to and having my friend Sue telling me that she's really bored and whatnot. Yeah, we got a sense of that last week, didn't we, I reckon? <laughs> How are you hitting it? What's the form like? Um, not too bad. Um, definitely not as rusty as I thought I would be, but um, it's just actually been really nice to play. Um, I obviously, I mean, I went and played the Vines, which is, has held obviously lots of good events and, I uh, went and played Wanneroo, one of the probably underrated golf courses here in WA. And, um, yeah, going to try and play some more public golf courses, um, try and get out with some friends. Uh, I'm going to play with Rick Kulax and Jared on Friday. So all of us pros are kind of bored and trying to all do the same thing. So we're all actually in one place at the same time. So trying to get some competitive rounds in. And you mentioned that you had your first session with Richie Smith, your coach, the other day in eight weeks. You've been with Richie yeah. for years. What's it, what's it like? First session back after such a long period like that, where do you sort of start? 
I know. Well, I've always had my my projects and I felt like I was doing a really good job before I was about to go away uh, for the West Coast swing. Um, and yeah, just playing golf is a little different. Rocking up 10 minutes before your tea time and playing and playing pretty bad the first nine holes. But um, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was yesterday. I thought we would really have to start from scratch on everything that I was working on. But um, it was more just some posture stuff, which I really do struggle with when I don't see Richie or any of my coaches. So it wasn't too bad a session to ease my way back into it, which I'm glad. How do, how do you actually feel? Like, do you, I know you're probably bored and, and want to get on tour, et cetera, but physically are you better or mentally even are you better off having been back in WA for such a period? Yeah, it has been really nice. Um, I haven't been, I guess, in Perth for this long um, a time in probably five or six years since I was in school. Um, so it's been really nice. The weather's been pretty good. Um, we had some bad storms last week, but yeah, I guess this is where I would want to be if I was in isolation and very lucky. I was about to get on the flight, um, to the States before they'd canceled our West coast swing. So I, I just got in before I had to fly away all the way over there to then come back. But, um, yeah, it's nice to be in WA. Um, I would love if we could actually do some travel. Like I'd love to actually do something and see my home state. I haven't done any travel before around um, like, you know, down South or up North, but um, hopefully soon they'll, you know, get those regional borders um, open again and actually can do something. So the regional borders are still in place as well as the state border. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So it would be nice to go down South before it gets a bit too cold and even just go up North and where the warmer weather is at the moment. So have you got a timeline for when you understand the LPGA Tour reconvenes or is it just all what's on the public record? Yeah, pretty much whatever the public gets told, we get told at the same time, maybe a couple more hours beforehand. So at the moment we're scheduled for the second week of July, but I still think it's pretty optimistic. Um, we still have three events in the UK and obviously they've been on lockdown for even longer than we have. So I'm not really sure how I feel about traveling. I obviously don't want to go anywhere at the moment, but I am itching to go play competitive golf. But I think I need to think about the bigger picture. Um, obviously, this year is going to be pretty much a write-off. I don't really think anyone will be losing their status. So whether I wait till the end of the year um, to then go back out and play, um, I haven't really thought about it too much. I've just been, I guess, staying at home and trying to enjoy it while I can. So, so, so yeah, sorry, Hazy, just on that before you move away, if you were to think about that, Hannah, w- would it be – could you see yourself arriving at that conclusion that, look, it's just too – it's too uncertain, it's too messy, um, I've actually got some positives out of out of being home and, and I can see this benefiting me long term. I, I am just going to write the year off and yeah. start could, – could that – could you arrive at that conclusion, do you think? It could possibly be that way. Um, I was talking to Mackie and Sue and they were saying that Brett has asked for an exemption to go over to the US and the government, Australian government, has turned him down. So he might be starting in June and we're a month later. So if our country can't even let us go, it kind of is going to be difficult. And But the thing I'm thinking about is actually trying to get back into Australia. Um, mm. In my rookie year, the thing I struggled with most is being away from home and um, it, I could be doing six months on the road, um, which I know mentally I wouldn't enjoy. So I have to think about my own physical state as well as my own mental state and whether that means I sacrifice playing, you know, five to ten events uh, this season. Um, who knows what could happen? I haven't really run too many scenarios through my head just yet. Um, 
now as I'm starting to get back to practicing and playing a bit more, I'll probably think about it a little bit more to see whether what I need to do. And yeah, I could use this period to just smash through my, my swing um, pr- projects and just make myself really good for 2021. Come back to those projects in a second, I reckon, Hannah, but just a bit more on the schedule. It's so like that. We everyone's been talking about the men's PGA tour being congested around the majors and the, uh, FedEx playoffs, etc. But um, the women's schedule is just brutal towards the end. I mean, you know, the US Women's Open two weeks before Christmas, and then the, and then the Tour Championship, and that you know that discounts defending your major championship crown as well yeah. in October. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy, and that's why I think it's important that we do take this time to actually enjoy being at home and and rest as much as we can because if we all do start at the same time and play for six months straight well, we're going to be buggered before 2021 so um i think yeah i did a really good job in taking five or six weeks off um before golf courses reopen and i guess yeah tried to enjoy it as much as possible but yeah it's going to be pretty flat out when we get back into it so have you even thought about what 2021 might look like even you know if you were to go up to right to basically on christmas eve and stop there does it make it possible to come out and play the Vic Open, the Women's Australian Open with, uh, you know, the same passion? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Um, the last two or three years, I've had at least eight weeks off in my off season. And I felt like that was a pretty good amount for myself. Um, but I would never miss an Australian event. Um, it might hurt our events um, even more for girls. They might want to take some more time off, but um I don't know, maybe we'll have a better chance for me to win the Oz Open. <laughs> Where does that sit for you? I was just interested, I mean, listening to you talk about all of that, you know, I mean, you'll, I imagine you'd have a heap of things that you want to achieve in your career sort of tucked away, but to win an Australian Open, how big a priority is that for you? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be the hardest event to win. Um, I mean, I would have never thought I would win a major championship, but I think because all eyes are on the Australians that week, it's going to be pretty difficult and I've had some good results the last uh, four or five years now so I'm really happy with how I've been doing with my consistency um, I can definitely feel I feel like playing in Adelaide um, everyone's really cheers for me and you know Minji and Sue and Kari and everyone so yeah it's definitely an event I really want to win um, nearly just as more much as a, another major or defending a major. So Hannah just we haven't had many tournaments to reflect on this year, but looking back to the Women's Australian Open, you probably didn't have your A game. You still finished it off okay. But um, how did you go dealing with so many more requests and more demands on your time and idiots like me hassling you and, um, you know, just just generally being more of a physical presence? It's different, <clears throat> for sure. Um, it was probably something I can learn for the next next time and even when I come to KPMG in Portland um, because I'm sure I'll be doing a lot more press conference and stuff like that but um, it's it's just a credit to all the other players that have to do it week in week out they to make it look so much easier than what it really is um, to be able to know what they want to do during the week um, you know practice round wise practice wise and then go and do their media stuff and then even go to the gym and see their physios Um, that was probably the most I've ever had to juggle in a week and I think I was really lucky that I had uh, one of my really good friends and my dad there that week because once I finally got home, I could really switch off. I wasn't really thinking too much. But, yeah, it's it's definitely something you need to get used to, and I guess the more you do it, the more you do get used to it. So hopefully next yeah. year I can manage it a little bit better. 
you mentioned Portland and the KPMG this year. Obviously, as you said, it's up in Portland this year. How do you? That must be one you're looking forward to uh, more than most. I think is you're going to have a lot more commitments, as you just said. But uh, is that a really special week that you sort of can't wait to get dive into? Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, it's pretty crazy to think. I don't know from what I've heard from the other players that have defended those tournaments. Um, they just see their face everywhere. You know the media requests and like even the crowd saying that you're the reigning champ, it's going to be such a different feeling. And I hope that I don't get too big ahead when I get back to those places. <laughs> um, but it probably will give me some confidence, but I hope not too much pressure on the same, in the same thing. <laughs> I don't think there's much danger of you getting a big head, but I must say that your name has popped up in the um, Saturday Super Quiz in the newspaper twice in the last three weeks. Uh-huh. Have you had any? Have you had any weird sort of, moments where you've seen your face on a poster or your name's popped up in a quiz or something like that in the last year? Um, it was really strange, actually. Um, what I think it's the chase. Um, I don't know if it was Australia's version or the UK, but they had what sport does Hannah Green play? <laughs> and it was something like cycling, track and field and golf. <laughs> and I think both the chaser and the participant got it wrong. So. Oh, I know. <laughs> I didn't actually watch the show, but a couple of my friends messaged me and just said, hey, like, you are on the chase. Like, you were a question. And I was like, what? But um, that was like a year and a half ago. So since then, I haven't had anything. <laughs> hey, you're, you're talking about, you're talking about um, you know, the experience that comes from winning a tournament and how to handle that and next time you get there and all those things you've just been talking about. I was reading um, last night, knowing we were, having a, we were going to be on the show, um, I was reading about, you know, the Lily Costa moment, you know, the famous moment and the kid and the seventh and eighth and the tightness. When, when you – have you thought about that moment much and, and not so much the interaction with, with Lily, which is speaks for itself, but your ability to go, I saw the tea was busy, I knew I had a bit of time, I had to switch off and this was an opportune way of doing it. Have you thought about, you know, that – as a way of managing your energy and your time and your emotions out on a golf course? Yeah, um, I'm definitely one of the quicker players on tour. I don't really like to think about stuff too much. Otherwise, I do overthink about a lot of things. But, um, yeah, I, I saw the girls on the next tee and they hadn't even hit off. So I was like, well, it's obviously going to be like a 10-minute wait. So I was like, saw obviously Lily and her friend. And um, I actually had no idea that she wanted to give me anything. Um but yeah, it was really nice, and I think it was really great that I did actually go up to her and get that receive that note because a couple of times on the back nine I did um, get out the note and read it because we were waiting a lot and obviously high pressure situation that I'd never experienced. But um, Lily was there, like even after I'd won, after the four hours that I spent, she was nearly there till the end, um, wanting to see me. So and we still keep in contact. Um, she's been doing a lot of lessons and swings looks really good. So. Her dad's been, you know, sending me videos and stuff. So it's been really nice to actually have a really good relationship with her. What have you done with the note? Where, where, where does that live these days? Um, <laughs> my mum got it framed, but I think it's not in this room at the moment. But, um, yeah, I've still got it. It got a bit weathered because of all the beer and champagne and whatnot that got sprayed <laughs> on me. But um, I still have it. Um, and, yeah, I still have the photos of it and when I go through my camera roll, I still see it. So oh, that's it's awesome. Cool. Good on you. That's great. That is awesome. Hannah, um, we know that you're a, you are single-handedly putting Mount Lawley golf on the map and just further to the, you know, <laughs> further to the question about the girls there, you've been doing a bit of golf around there with the youngsters as you always do when you go home. 
Uh, do you see anything in any of the kids now that they're sort of wide-eyed looking at you? Yeah, well, I guess when we were playing in twos, um, I got to play with one of my friends, Ruby, and she was really excited. But then, you know, we've gone back to fours now, so I can play with all the kids. And it's nice to see how they interact with each other because that's probably the thing I didn't have when I was playing at my home course at Malawi. I had maybe two or three other juniors that I could play with, but it was always constantly playing with them. Otherwise, I had to play with the men or the women. So it's just really nice to see how many friends they have in the sport. Um, but yeah, they're really talented. I played with um, a girl called Aileen. I think she's only year five and she like smashes it. And then I played with another girl, Emma, and she's I think year seven and she nearly hits it further than me. And I was like, oh gosh, like I've got some work to do. <laughs> so it's, it's really nice to see the talent come through and actually, you know, I see these girls on the range and everything, but it's nice to actually see how they play and they're really good with their questions. Um, a few of them have said they want to make it their living and have asked me some really good questions. Um, some even I haven't really thought about myself when I was in that, their footsteps, I guess. So they've been picking my brain, which is what I've wanted them um, to do. And it's really good to see. I was going to ask you that. I mean, obviously some want to win a major championship or some others just, you know, happy to have found a social outlet or have they all got those same lofty goals? Yeah, I think most of them want to do something with golf. Um, a couple of the girls I've played with so far have said that that's what they want to do. They want to make it their profession. And um, some of the girls are too young. I think they're, they're just really enjoying being outside with their friends. So it's good. Like everyone's really interested. Um, all of the girls seem to work really hard on their game, seeing their coaches and um, practicing before and sometimes after school. So it's nice to yeah be able to play with them and uh, give back to them and hopefully yeah motivate them to do well in golf so you did that uh magnificent video interview with a beautiful long hair too by the way Uh, it's all gone now (laughs) have you chopped it all off have you yeah um i was staggered to see how long it actually was uh it was for fox sports um during international women's day uh i think was that in early march from memory um what was it like to see yourself there alongside you know presumably women you've growing up admiring, you know, Elise Perry and Sam Kerr and a whole host of others. Yeah, it turned out really well, um, that video. And I think there was even one of Minji and I that came out on Foxtel as well. So, yeah, it turned out really well. And it was really nice to see what everyone had said about me. <laughs> they were all really nice things. So that was good. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, I watched the other girls' speeches. Um, I think that was, yeah, a month or two ago. So I don't know if all of them have been released just yet. But, um, yeah, it's cool to see everyone like that they've surrounded themselves around, um, you know, how many people really is in a part of a team, um, whether it's, yeah, a, already a physical team like basketball or cricket versus a golfer who's technically everyone is a single golfer. So. Mm. So what's next for you? Where do you go? What's the, you know, we're waiting for this thing to you know, go from stage to stage until we're kind of back to normal or whatever that looks like. What, what's, what's next for you? Yeah, well, I mean, the next event um, scheduled is the team's event, so Dow up in Michigan. Um, and I've already asked Sue if she wants to play with me. She said yes. <laughs> but the thing is, is whether we can leave the country and whether we both feel safe to do so. And um, we have two events in the US and then we're due to go to the UK for three events. So I think we've both pretty much said if we were to go to the UK, or oh, sorry, if the events in the UK got um, cancelled, that we probably wouldn't go because it. I don't think it would be worth our while going all the way over there to then stay there for four extra weeks, um, quarantining and stuff like that. So we've got to, I guess, get onto it now, ask the LPGA and 
uh, I guess, talk to the government to see what, what we can actually do. So that's what okay. I'll be doing in All the right. next week or so. Good luck. And I've got to yeah. one, I'll ask you one question to sort of um, come back around full circle. You mentioned going to see Richie and everything. I don't know if you remember last year and, and both you and he said on, on Inside the Ropes that, you know, out of 10, we were asked to rank. Do you remember doing the rankings of your performance mm-hmm. at Hazeltine? Yeah. Have you got it part? Was it a three we gave you for, for was it driving? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you got it over a three yet? Um, yeah, it's been better since. Funny you say that on, uh, when I played on Sunday with my dad, I hit all 14 fairways. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I think this year it's obviously hard at Vic Open because it was so windy. Um, but Royal Adelaide's a little bit more forgiving. So it's hard to obviously go off stats for this season since I've only played two events, but, um, I don't think it could get any worse than KPMG. Let's just say that. <laughs> If you hit 14 fairways at Hillview on Sunday, what did you shoot? I only had even par. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I mean, I haven't played there in a while, so I'll take that. Would you like? Would you like? You've probably been asked this a thousand times, but I can't remember you answering it. Would you like more? Um, well, not co-sanction, but more concurrent events, men, women, you know, state, national opens. Is something you'd like to see more of? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it would be awesome to have every state to have a men's as well as a women's open and whether every state could actually accommodate that to have it both at the same time and same venue. I think it'd be awesome. Um, it would help both the men's golf and the women's golf. It doesn't hurt. Vic Open obviously has shown how big and you know widespread it's gotten around the world. So I think it would be awesome if every state could do that. So I don't know. I know you've been a long time contributor to Inside the Ropes, and I don't know if you listened last week when uh, Gavin Kirkman was talking about what a, a new schedule might look like, and we spoke a bit yeah. about a bit about it in the first segment. Have you got any idea um, what that might be in a dream world in your mind? Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, for the men, for sure. I mean, obviously with the Perth International or Super Six, whatever it's called now, um, but I think that really attracted players to go to Vic Open and then go to Perth. Um, so even just losing one event to show how much it kind of weakened Vic Open, I think it would be huge if we could have three events. And I think, yeah, definitely the Oz Open. Um, it's supposed to be our biggest event, I would say. Um, so if they could have, yeah, three events in a row where people would love to come down, um, I think it would be better at the start of the year um, because obviously at the end of the year, there are a lot of Q scores and people are trying to have their off seasons and stuff like that. So I think, it's obviously difficult, but probably now is the time since schedules are all over the place anyway. Um, and, yeah, I think even for the Aussie Open and Vic Open to have them back-to-back, it drew a lot of players to come come down. So mm. we just got to promote it even more and hopefully get those dates locked in. Uh, lovely to see you. Uh, you look well. Uh, you sound happy. You sound good. So we can't wait to um, see more of that out on the golf course. Um, we've been invested in you what you've been doing as a golf for a long time on this show some more than others and it's great to see you um where you are right now thanks for coming on the show again and and good luck with everything in front of you yeah thanks for having me guys thanks great friend of the podcast hannah green joining us on inside the ropes going to catch up with tina mayo on the other side of the break yes the osteo to the stars more of that on inside the ropes after this Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia.
Welcome back to the show. Um, there's going to be a lot of players um, in the southeast corner of Australia who I reckon on Thursday morning, Hazy, are going to be waking up with a very sore back, uh, shoulders aching, neck hurting, probably a bit uh, embarrassed and humiliated about the way they've hit the ball and the way they've scored. But they'll be able to deal with all of that. But there is a way that we can um, probably offset to some degree the pain and suffering that coming back to golf uh, is going to cause. And we are absolutely privileged to have uh, the osteopath to the stars of Australian golf, but not just the stars of Australian golf, to Mr. and Mrs. Every Golfer in Australia, Tina Mayo, Dr. Tina Mayo, joining us on the show. Tina, thanks for your time. That's okay. Thanks for having me. So from a golfing perspective, you're an osteopath and you're – Got your degree yeah. out of Vic Uni, I think, oh, gee, a while ago now. I don't want to necessarily say how long ago it was. But <laughs> 20, <laughs> a while ago, yeah. 20, I reckon it might have been 21 years. So you've been doing this for a while. Um, h- how did you find your way? And we're talk- we want to talk to you more about how, you know, the rank and file player can sort of get themselves in a better physical nick to cope with the travails of golf. But how did you find your way into um, dealing with and working with so many top-line Australian golfers? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically, um, while I was studying, I was at university, I did an internship with the Institute of Sport, the Victorian Institute of Sport, and um, I was working there back with uh, Vern McMillan and Mark McGrath were heading up the strength conditioning unit in the gym. So I started working with those guys, basically, um, and then the golf program wanted someone to work with them. So by the time I was qualified, I sort of had already... Um, I was on the range at Albert Park with, back then it was Dale Lynch, um, Steve Bann, and that was when, you know, we had people like Jeff Ogilvie in the program still and Marcus Fraser and all those boys all came through at that time. Um, Yes, so basically I started with them and um, as a result of working with the amateurs, or they were still amateurs at the time, as they turned professional, um, who else was in that group? Aaron Badley was in the group. There was quite a few different... um, guys who ended up becoming, you know, quite successful. So, yeah, worked with them. And then as a result of um, working with other coaches that went through, so then we had Dennis McDay take over and all the other coaches that then followed on from that. Um, so all their professional players that they worked with ended up um, treating as well because they just sort of said, oh, you know, I'm back home now. Who should I see? And, yeah, I was recommended. So, yeah, basically I ended up sort of falling into golf, but spending a lot of time with the coaches, um, I learned so much about the biomechanics of the swing and I just love it. Like, you know, I went from having no idea to like, you know, now I have, I feel like I have a really good understanding of um, what's required from the body. And I really love the, um, you know, the fact that I can work closely with coaches and be another part of the puzzle to just try and help them achieve their goals. So how, from an osteo's perspective, how specific is golf and the areas that you can focus on and and are asked to focus on when you're dealing with golfers? Yeah. Well, from an athletic point of view, golf's one of the most complex movements we could do with our bodies. Like it's a, it's a skill set, obviously, but um, if you think about, um, you know, every single joint and muscle in your body are moving when you swing a golf club, like it requires everything to work correctly. So, um, from an osteopath's perspective, we look at the whole body and how it all works together. So from feet to, to head and everything in between, all the joints, all the muscles, we're quite holistic in our approach. We look at um, the function of, um, you know, and compensations that bodies have. 
So quite often when we have, um, you know, people who have some issues or some things that aren't working well, um, you know, we end up seeing like, you know, um, there might be swing changes or technical um, problems which aren't actually, you know, sometimes they're not a technical problem. They're a physical problem that they have or restriction and therefore it presents as a technical problem. So they might do, be doing drills and working with their coach really hard and getting really frustrated. But if there's an underlying physical problem and no drill is going to fix that, no expensive equipment is going to fix that. So you can buy all the new clubs in the world, but if it's a physical problem that you have, um, then you need to fix that. And therefore everything else will then fall into place and, and you know, players are happy, coaches are happy. Um, so it's it's another set of eyes really to try and understand why some people have, have issues that they do. I, I know that everyone would improve very quickly if they did come to see you, Tina, but I, I guess it's a sort of a almost a giggle festival for you when people roll up uh, expecting to have Adam Scott swing uh, after one or two sessions. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it is quite funny. But, um, you know, Adam's like obviously, you know, um, he, he's obviously at the top of the, the you know, and he's a, like a 10 out of 10 when we come, we talk about physical um, but he works really hard for it. So I just say to them, like, you know, everyone can get better. Like everybody, doesn't matter what level player you are, everyone can improve all the time. Even Adam. Adam also knows that, you know, I'm probably the only person that can find his faults still, um, which, you know, I love bringing that to his attention as well when <laughs> others say, oh, look how amazing he is and I can highlight where maybe he's not so amazing. But the other thing is, um, like someone like Adam, his awareness is amazing and that's the other thing that, People generally don't have great awareness of their body and the elite players, so it doesn't matter who they are, but they all have really good awareness and that's what makes them so good. And that's something that you need to train. That's also a skill. And people just don't spend time on their body, on their health and, and trying to work on their awareness and don't realise how closely related that is to having a great golf swing. So use me as an example here. I'm, a, I'm 48 my spine is about as flexible as a 200-year-old oak tree. Uh, you know, I've, I'm probably a couple of grams overweight, Tina. Um, Andy, don't bat your eyelids just like one, that. Just a one disgrace. Or two. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I drive to my club. This is pre-COVID. I drive to my club and still rush to the tee, the first tee. And then I don't have carp and moan, but I carp and moan when the first drive goes sliding 40 metres to the right. Um, it, I, I know that's unrealistic, but what would you say to someone like me and how, how could a, you know, a real chopper benefit in, an, in, in a quick time with you guys? Yeah, so probably the big thing is, you, you know, if you've, driven, you've been sitting in the car and you've driven, so nothing's activated in your body, right? You've just been plonked in the car. So when you get out of the car, if you spend, if you gave yourself even 10 minutes before you teed off and you went through some warm-up exercises, some activation work where you actually fire the body up and you put the body in the positions you need it to be with like the same positions that are required for your golf swing. So once you've done that, the brain's already prepared and understands what you're asking from it. So the body's prepared, the brain's prepared. So before you even pick up the club and stand at the tee, you're already, your, your body and your nervous system is ready for what, you're, what you want it to do because you've already put it there. And that's what a warm-up's for. And so many people don't warm up, and that's why we have more than half the people playing golf have back pain 
So the, the other thing is, you know, they blame, you know, age, which isn't, they blame weight, again, not, not often not a variable. So I've seen people really overweight, but really good mobility, really good with their warm-up, and they can play around no back pain at all. So I think everyone can get better if they put a little bit of time in and they say, all right, I'm going to tee off at 1 o'clock, so I'm going to be there at 12.30 and give myself time to do a proper warm-up. And if you think of the professionals, they rock up, you know, two to three hours before their tea time. Like, so you can't expect to be an Adam Scott or to be a superstar if you're not prepared to, like, make the effort and do the physical preparation work that your body needs to be consistent and to have an efficient golf swing. No, the world the world kind of laughed at Tiger Woods a couple of years ago, Tina, when he talked about, you know, glute activation, you know. <laughs> and it was sort of – I mean, remember when he, when he came, he was sort of really big on – on that for a while, and the the word the golfing yeah. world is going. What's he talking about? Yeah, no, but you think about it. He's presetting his nervous system to be mm. powerful, to be explosive, to be able to build really good torque in his body. So to do all the things he needs in his golf swing, if that doesn't happen, then there's there's nothing. There's you know we've got everything going right, and we've got you know really poor follow through, and we don't use the ground well, and all the stuff that everyday people do really poorly and then get frustrated over. Mm. So we'd enjoy our golf so much more if we put a bit of effort into the physical preparation side. So, so Ham, of all the people that you see, whether they be frontline you know, amateurs or pros or, or rank and file you know, everyday people who happen to play a bit of golf, yeah. how, how many, what's the breakdown roughly of those who are seeing you for repair uh, as opposed to prevention? Oh, um, probably 50-50, I'd say. Okay, all right. And, yeah, so it's it's great. I mean, I love working. I love the fact that, you know, as an osteopath, I can have someone come in because they're in pain and, you know, and that's stopping them playing and, and therefore they're frustrated. And it doesn't matter how old they are. They could be juniors. They could be seniors. It doesn't matter. And everyone in between. Um, and, therefore, we've got, you know, um, you know, as, as a result of having, you know, such a broad range of people, you know, some are more just want to get through a round and just want to play. So they're not prepared to, they, they just come when they're in pain. But then we've got the people who understand that a dysfunction in their body is really, you know, really means poor efficiency. So poor movement, inconsistent goals. And they're the people who are more on the prevention side of things and, and want your help to sort of have a plan and just stay on top of things so they don't actually get injured. And that's where the professionals are at. I couldn't tell you the last time I actually treated someone um, like Adam Scott for actual pain. All the work we do with him is basically preservation and, mm. and maintaining, um, you know, obviously really good, healthy, um, and, and just, you know, protecting him from being injured. So he's very much, someone like Adam is very much self-sufficient now. Like we've done so much work and, and a good practitioner will educate you enough that you can self-manage most of your problems. So I think that's super important that you're not always reliant on someone to treat you or someone to fix you. You need to understand and learn the exercises yourself and have some go-to um, steps where you can check or assess your own body and have that as a reference. Yeah. And therefore you can say, all right, I'm doing, I'm not doing this today or this feels really terrible. So if I do these exercises, that will free up and then I won't be hitting everything right. I'll be able to clear my hip left. And then you understand what you have to do to fix yourself. And that's where someone like, so, you know, someone like Adam Scott is at now. So he, he's very much like he can self-manage most of his problems. 
So he only calls me if he gets stuck or, or something pops up. So we keep a check on things, but he doesn't really need external help because he's he understands enough about his body and his awareness is so good. I'm thinking of a way to frame this question, Tina, which isn't going to get us in legal trouble, but uh, I'm going to go with Bob Shearer. I figure he's my safest possible comparison right now. So if, if Bob Shearer at age 40 uh, was sticking – and you know, someone who's very au fait with the, uh, how do we put this, the elbow bending activities of after golf play, even probably in the height, the height of his powers. How much better is yeah. Adam, Adam Scott's back at 40 than someone of that vintage who, you know, who probably paid no attention to this? Yeah, so it, I think it's, it's not just, I mean, it's everything. It's nutrition as well. It's, you know, sleep. It's, you know, looking, it's the whole picture. It's not just, you know, diet. Um, and it's it's your commitment to like um, it's it's a commitment it's a daily commitment that you make. So someone like him, I don't know if he ever if he does any gym work or I'm not sure what his routine is. But I think most of the guys we see who who are performing well, um, training is part of their day to day. Like and whether there's tournaments or no tournaments, it's a seven day a week thing. Yeah. Yeah, I did want to ask you, and I, you don't want to focus too much on on specific players. I get that, but one, the most amazing thing I've seen in my time as a golf reporter, I think physically, and it probably requires an asterisk on the trophy, the Australian Masters trophy, was when Stuart Appleby, and he's mentioned it on this very podcast, won the Australian Masters at Victoria in 2010, from memory. Uh, he basically yeah. described himself as a as a as a wreck. A, you know, barely mobile on both Wednesday and then again through the tournament. What sort of – can you remember those days specifically and, and what sort of things do you sort of do to, to get someone to patch them all together and shove them back onto the first tee? Yeah, um, yeah that was a great – that was a great week actually. So we had um, – so it was like the Monday and um, – I remember Steve Ban called me to say, um, you know, Appleby uh, was in really bad shape. He's probably going to pull out of the event. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm on my way there, so I'll, I'll see him. So, you know, when I got there, he was, you know, I, I, he walks in and he's like barely, his walking was even terrible. And you could just see pain on his face. And, and um, I also was like, okay, this is, this is not good. So he was like, do I pull out? I'm like, well, let's see what we can do about it first. So I assessed him. Um, and, you know, we, I sort of, you know, diagnosed what was wrong with him at that point. And, you know, we got a little bit better that day. Um, he had quite a lot of inflammation. So I did use some shockwave treatment on him. So we have like a Swiss dollar class machine that we use that I had at the event. Um, so which, you know, he's, he jokes about, he probably told you about it, did he? Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> he's a shocker. Uh. But anyway. He um, he did he did say he did say that you know he felt significantly better after the first couple of days, um, and therefore you know I said okay well don't pull out let's just see so we we he did play the pro am like we gave him and he didn't he missed the practice day so he sort of had those two three days to sort of just try and work on his body, improve his range and his mobility and so we slowly got probably about twenty percent better every day. Um, so Thursday he got through the round and he pulled up actually okay. Same with the Friday and you know obviously he made the cut and um, yeah. So he just got he just got better and better and he's very committed. Like he'll do whatever you say, um, which is and he's so he's compliant, which is always a bonus to work with players that actually do what you're asking of them. 
Um, but he could feel the difference. So, so that was really, really good. So, uh, yeah, as I said, I used the shockwave on him probably every day that week, which, you know, um, was quite aggressive treatment, I would say. And I probably treated him for about 40, 45 minutes each session that we did, um, sometimes twice a day before and after the round. Um, so it was pretty intense. Um, and then, yeah, but like, you know, on the final day, I'd sort of packed up all my stuff. And normally at the end of a tournament, if anyone's still out playing, I can go and walk the course and, and you know, follow them around for a few holes. So when I got out there and I'm like, oh, my God, he's actually going to win this. <laughs> Freaking out. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was an awesome day. It was so, it was so, it was such a good week. Yeah, to have a good result. I hope he slipped you a couple of extra shekels, did he? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the next week, uh, he, the next week we had the Aussie Open up in Sydney. And um, so he said, Are you bringing that machine to Sydney? I was like, Yeah, I'll organize to have one up there. So I did, and, you know, Sydney, we were treating, like, on a mezzanine, and there was all the titleless guys giving out all the equipment. You know, it was like the Tuesday of the event. And he walks in and, um, come. you know, his voice travels for, like, kilometres, Stuart Appleby's voice. He has that very deep voice. So he walks in, he just yells my name out, and I'm like, yep, I'm up here. And as he's coming up the stairs, I hadn't even seen him yet, he yells out something like, did you bring the vibrator? He's <laughs> <laughs> talking about the shockwave. <laughs> he killed him. That's true Appleby style, you know. Like, can you picture him doing it? Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 So, because, it, because it does, the machine does vibrate, but the way he did, I was just like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> so it was a very funny, very funny um, couple of weeks with him. But, yeah, he's always great value. He's always very grateful. So whenever he comes back to Australia, he I always see him, um, which is great. And obviously, yeah, it's, it's always good to catch up with him. He's, he's really good and, you know, he's been great for Australian golf and great um, role model for a lot of people. So, Doc, we've got to get a wriggle on here, but um, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast who are going to go, right, what can I do? What what do I need to do? And there's going to be a range of things that are going to be problems for people, you know, whatever it might be. Is there a, yeah. a, a, there's a webinar? Is there is there a webinar that we've got a special deal for for Inside the Ropes listeners, Hazy, for, which is happening on Saturday with, with you, Doc, and, and Matty Griffin? Is there, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So basically, with everyone sort of being in lockdown and not being able to play golf, um, my biggest concern, and I was discussing it with Matt, about uh, people actually being in lockdown and not able to get out of the house and, and get to the golf course. And now that we've been allowed to actually go back and play, people are going to go from doing nothing and now they're going to go out and just wreck themselves. So I actually <laughs> thought we should put something together. And I said to Matt, and, Matt, and I've been working with Matt just, um, via telehealth, um, and, I, and I said to him, would you be happy to work um, together with me and just talk to people about some things they can do, what a good warm-up would look like and the sort of activation work that maybe you could do before you play just to give you, and obviously it's going to be very general um, because it's sort of for everybody, but for anyone who's playing that wants to join in, we're actually offering it for free. So there'll be a link, I think, provided on your website. Is that right, Mark? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've sent through that information. So we'll, um, we'll be able to, if you've got some questions you want to ask about anything um, musculoskeletal-wise, happy to answer those. Um, but basically just to discuss the importance of um, looking after your body for golf and, and preventing injuries. So And making sure, you know, spend that little bit of time. And you can do all this stuff at home in your room. 
So you don't need to be anywhere special. So all we ask is that you have an iron handy that you can use um, because everything we will do will, will you know, relate um, back to your swing. So well, we're going to talk about awareness. We're going to give you some tools to help with your setup, your follow-through, your backswing, um, and just, yeah, all those things. And Matt will be available to ask questions too as well. So Matt's very kindly offered his time to join us and try and help a few people out. So it's free. That's great. That's so, yeah. uh, we, and we'll, we'll, as Tennis says there, we'll put uh, in the show notes, which we don't often do, but we'll do that this week, and we'll also put it out on um, Inside the Rope social media as well if you want to do it. Uh, I think this is too good an opportunity to pass up, to be honest, Andy, for the average golfer to oh, yeah. not only hear Tina speak, but see what Maddie um, does around getting fit and ready to play. I think to be commended, both of you, thank you very much. Oh, that's okay. That's fine. It's a great thing you're doing for all of us, Tina. Hey, thanks for being part of the show today. Um, no thank you so much for having me. No, no, it's been, um, it's been educational on a whole lot of different fronts, I reckon, and hopefully people will take on board the simplicity of it all and, and the message because I reckon it'll make us, I'm sure, all enjoy our game a bit more. Um, we really appreciate your time. No problem. Thank Good you. Idea. Dr. Tina Mayo joining us, uh, osteopath to the stars and to the everyman. Uh, Juzzy, Hazy, that's it. We're done for another episode of Inside the Ropes. Uh, good to see you two boys. Uh, look after yourself. Enjoy your golf. Um, <laughs> hopefully we, hopefully we uh, activate our glutes sufficiently by the time we stand on the first tee to find a fairway or two and not uh, lament uh, what is that at first round of golf backyard for us to enjoy. Just listening to Tina then, I think when I, the first thing I'm going to do when I get out of the car uh, tomorrow, I've got an 11.48 time at Royal Kerr Lewis, is to practice bending over and moving trees. <laughs> so as I go to look for the ball, I shouldn't suffer any additional injuries. How to, how to turn the chainsaw on. <laughs> I going to say, 10, 10, 10 minutes of activation might... Not be quite enough, I reckon. We might have to stretch it out to fifteen or twenty. You might get you might get a bit of practice out on the golf course working on that move anyway. By the sounds of it, but uh, look, it's good, it's great. There's a sigh of relief. You know, we understand what was happening in Victoria, uh, and we've spoken about all of that enough. Uh, we're back playing golf, which is uh, which is a great thing. Uh, you two have a great week and weekend, and uh, we'll be back next week to do it all again. You too, Andy. Thanks, good on you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been Inside the Ropes. We'll put out all those details of that webinar with Dr. Turner Mayo and Maddie Griffin. Uh, make sure you take advantage of it all if that's your bag. Uh, back next week to do it all again. See you then, folks. <laughs>